Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. I wanted to talk about, in this episode, what might be called entrepreneurial education. Although, I sort of figure that it might well start at, I think what a lot of people call year 8, that is for 13 or 14 year olds, or high school. So what I'm hoping for is that people at this high school will assume that they're going to be self-employed or start their own business or run their own business or at least be part of a small team responsible for their own economic success rather than, which I think is the present system, assuming that you're going to be an employee for a large organisation or for the government. I did a high school education that assumed you were going to go in the Navy and that all the academic education, and I think it reached quite a high standard, I mean it was A-levels, but it was also things like spherical trigonometry, did assume that you were going in the Navy and it it was all oriented towards that. So for example when you did maths it was about navigation and geography was you know, ports in the world and issues that are going to be relevant to a sailor. I'm assuming much the same sort of philosophy could be used to get teenagers to assume that they were going to start to run or buy their own business or work in a smaller business rather than be employees. I think a lot of business schools, um, a lot of education assumes you're going to be an employee of a large organisation. Either that or it's got some rather quaint idea that education is for itself, it's for your personal development. But I think that unless you're very fortunate to have a private income, you really, by the time you're a teenager and a young adult, should be thinking to yourself, I need to develop a skill in in order to earn money to make my way in the world... Uh, rather than I, I need to study stuff so I sound intelligent at dinner parties. We are talking about year eight. So there's been um, a number of years already, eight years, where people can learn to read and write and learn some basic understanding of the world and some history and some geography and maths and and literature and that sort of thing. So um, I don't think this is sort of totally wiping out a traditional liberal education. So what would be the inputs, outputs, transformation boundary of my system? Well, I think the inputs would be very similar to, you know, modern education. Uh, One would still need maths, you know, English, poetry, geography, history all the usual things. Uh, The only fresh input, really, is this assumption that you're going to start your own business. Uh, So, for example, if you're interested in ballet, horses, or sports, we just assume that you're going to start your own little business, you know, teaching ballet or educating people about ballet or something or other. Um... The same is true if you're interested in geography, that you develop mapping skills that you could then 
offered to the government or offered to private enterprise. If you wanted to be a geologist or a chemist, you were, just assume you're going to develop a little department or a little, uh, I suppose, outsourcing business that uh, offered a service to some other organization or to other organizations generally. I think the same is true about maths. If you thought, well, I'm interested in maths, then assume you're going to set up some sort of actuary or statistical analysis company. I don't think it's a huge difference. It's just a slight orientation in in why you need this information. It would, I think, therefore include things like saying, well, you need to understand you know, business studies, economics, uh, marketing, organizational theory, and that sort of thing, possibly, as well as just maths, physics, geography, history. Assume also that they would need more problem-solving skills in the generic sense. I mean, obviously, science and scientific experiments would be important, but they would need things like systems thinking or, you know, methods for problem solving uh, and decision making. Uh, these are more likely to be important if you're self-employed than if you're an employee. Although I suspect there could be a lot more of problem solving theory, more systems thinking uh, in education generally. That is, I have a messy situation and I wish to think about it and resolve it in a way satisfactory to me and those around me. So the output of my system would be a person who more understood that they were part of a small group with a more localised focus. Now, even if they went on to university and became a biologist and a researcher, they could have a research group or research centre that was focused on you know, particular missions or objectives and there could be a you know, small cohort of them. So to some extent I don't see this form of education, this assumption that you're going to be in a small sort of owner-managed group is problematic for you know, any sort of career. So what's the ecology of my system? Because at the moment we have an education system that, that does rather assume that you're going to work for a large organisation, even that was never said. It, it's almost education for its own sake, or it's education at schools to get you into university. Then in universities, although a lot of it is career-focused, that is, they have architectural schools and science schools and that sort of thing, uh, aiming at careers. This species of, of education is quite different from the one I'm proposing. And it is uniform and large. So my idea would be an, a small introduced species. Although I think it has a history. And if you look at things like technical schools and you know, vocational schools, and even now you get things like agricultural schools, there has been a sort of uh, uh, a similar species, but the, it's not mainstream. I think my system would be attractive to 
industry, I can't see why it wouldn't be attractive to universities and to government. Even if you go in the military, it's just understanding that you are going to be working in a smaller group and do a bit more decision making. So I can see, you know, industry and government and uh, and the university system and the research establishments really not being predators on my system. The biggest predator might well be those who still talk about education for education's sake, which I think is really not thinking deeply about education. It sounds very nice and without pressure. And I do believe that people can study things without being clear, but in the same way that when you have an argument, your purpose is a lot more clear. I think if you understand that you're learning something that might be applicable to you, then I think there's more motivation. Although that's not not always necessary, of course. When thinking about what this education system I'm proposing is like, my thoughts turn to a couple of things. One is... Some time ago, I remember talking to a Jewish guy who was introducing me to his son, and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he corrected me and said, he thought the correct question was, how will you create wealth when you're older? How will you feed your family? I thought that interesting, and of course not true maybe in the modern world, but if you go back through... Jewish history, because they couldn't get jobs for, from large organizations, um, they had to find you know, self-employed work or work amongst their own community. There was a lot more emphasis on, on business, on you know, how are you going to sort of make your way in the world because nobody is going to give you a job. So you don't have a skill in a small business, you won't make any money and you, your family will starve. You get certain families and groups who think like this. Uh, some people come from a family where it's just assumed that everybody's a bit of a wheeler-dealer. They have lots of little bits of jobs and things. You get families who, when you say, what do you do? They'll sort of say, well, we do a bit of everything. We've got, you know, I've got this part-time job here. I've got a little, you know, apple orchard that I run over here. I've got a part interest in a taxi over there. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I help in, uh, you know, this this uh, fabrication business over here. Uh, so they understand their life to be lots of little bits and pieces. And there are, yeah, a lot of people, when you say, what do you do? They, they say, you know, try and make a living. I wheel a deal. I talk to people. I look out opportunities. I'm a go-between. And I think these people understand they want their children to really just make their own way in the world. Some people are very reluctant to work for large organisations because they feel, although sometimes the work can be interesting and it's secure and there's a career path, that you really lose a lot of personal autonomy and self-esteem having to work in in a large organisation. Okay, this uh, system is also really the basis of capitalism, the term capitalism is a big one to define. Most people assume you're talking about a owner-managed, free enterprise, market-driven economy, 
as opposed to a socialist, government-organized, central planning economy. I think most modern economies have a bit of both in them. But capitalism also assumes people start up their own businesses. They, They get the skills, they open a shop, they start an agency, they buy a farm, and they can do this without having to get you know, too much permission from the government, maybe a few licenses, but generally speaking, there's not a monopoly that stops them. If somebody thinks, I want to set up a stall here, they can do it without too much regulation. I think my system is assuming that there isn't a sort of very heavily socialised state. That is, that if you have an idea for a business, or you turn up with a skill and think, well, I'll offer it as a business, there's, there's not either excessive amounts of government regulations stopping you, including Ock Health and Safety and one or two other things, but also there isn't too much monopoly uh, trying to stop you as well. That is, large organisations who have the authority to say, no, you're not allowed to do that. A lot of the time that is, in fact, government-supported uh, regulation that, that gives monopoly powers to people. So I am assuming that we're operating in a world where there is enough freedom from regulation to be able to start your own business. So what use is this entrepreneurial education system? What uses could be put to consequences of its existing? I think it gives personal autonomy and self-respect to those who want it, who feel that they don't get that in a very large organisation. There are some people who really like to change things, move things, and find it a lot easier in a small group than and trying to do it with a large group. And any of you who have experience in large companies know that to do anything, really, I mean, just change the date of a meeting requires 12 people all holding hands at the same time to make a decision. And... and a general apathy over the difficulty of organisational change makes it very difficult to pursue new ideas for the sake of them. In Pink's book about modern motivation theory, he said that what motivates most middle managers is the ability to be able to come up with an idea and enact it, because it is often not possible to do so in large organisations. The scientific test or experiment you could run to see if the system I'm suggesting is viable or not, it would be the obvious educational one of having certain schools that do it and certain schools not doing it and then plot the long-term career of people and see what difference it makes. You might, of course, go into different cultures or different areas of the world and into schools where there was an assumption already that you would have to be self-employed. I think just telling teenagers that they need a skill that they can make a living from, be it a doctor or a lawyer or a carpenter or a merchant seaman, is actually quite educational to some people. But I think you could design a an experiment in the classic form of educational research to see whether it worked or not. You'd need to remember that although you basically taught people to assume they were going to be self-employed or Uh, owner-managers, they might go and work for the military or the government or a large organisation, but they're going to be in a department or a section and run that 
as if it was their own little organisation, although the skills required to, to run a department, say in the government, are quite different from those of running a private enterprise. I would have thought some of them were useful. I'm not convinced the skills that are required to work in a large bureaucracy are taught anyway in in schools or universities. At a sort of physical or empirical level, what I assume these schools or, again, it could be university departments, really, um, classes do is they simply ask the students to choose an industry or some topic they're interested in or have some sort of skill in. Often 14-year-olds sort of know what they're quite good at and then just get them to assume that they're going to run a business around that thing and and whatever, whenever they do maths, if they're taught differential equations, they're asked to come up with how this might be useful for their business or in, or, or company. Of course, they might find that some of the things is less useful, but it would simply just make the relevance connection, which I think is distressing a lot of teenagers who don't really see a lot of relevance in what they do at high school with, with what they needed out in the world. Mind you, you can get a bit caught with this. I remember teaching financial modelling when spreadsheets and computers became much more commonplace in business. And the students, of course, they found it quite hard because it's fairly mathematical, What you know, asked around of parents and other lecturers and said, do we need this stuff? And they'll go, they went, no, we never needed it. Because, of course, it, it was a new thing. And when they, they had to get to work to realise that it was useful. It was hard to judge why it was useful in the classroom. I think if you use the concept of evolution to think about this entrepreneurial educational system, you just have to say that the world has sort of changed like that. I, there were, of course, pre-industrial revolution. A lot of people worked for themselves and supplied stuff, uh, although they might have worked for you know, landed gentry or something. Uh, but the industrialization meant that a lot of people went into factories, went into large organizations. And really, I think, well, even to the present day, I'm sure a lot of the jobs, a lot of the well-paid jobs, all for government and taxpayer jobs, be it the military or you know universities or large organizations, Google or Apple or something. But increasingly, people are looking for employees who have more skills than the, the sort of ones that are produced at university or school at present. They're looking for more independence of action. And also you're getting large bureaucracies shedding departments saying, you know, we outsource that, we don't do it ourselves. So I think of an example where a department of mines uh, would basically employ a private contractor to go and drill somewhere. They'd take the core and they'd give it to a geologist who was another self-employed little company. They would do an analysis and they would hand it over to the government and it would go into the government records. But the largely, although it was done by the government for the government, it, it was done by several small self-employed people acting as contractors to the government. Of course, even with things like you know, welfare and, and disability services, these are often now farmed out to smaller organisations. They're outsourced. 
So I think the the changing world in the sense people are uh, decentralizing, de-evolving from large bureaucracies down to smaller ones because of the problems it brings. Uh, and so the, maybe this education system is something that springs out of a wider trend in organizational theory and structure around in reducing the size of large bureaucracies. Because even the military is doing the same now. They outsource you know, a lot of work to contractors. Um, it's controversial, I know, but it, it is a, it's sort of part of a general trend. Now, if that's occurring, then the education system needs to sort of reflect that is the situation. What's being recombined here? I'm trying to recombine a classical education, a traditional education, with the concept of self-employed, owner-managed, for-profit organisations. I suppose the selectors for success are whether the environment does continue to decentralise and outsource services. I suspect it would be important that teachers have some sort of self-employed, owner-manager, for-profit, or at least small department experience before they teach so they're able to apply the relevance to traditional academic topics. Hopefully, student demand would help select this method and make it popular. But uh, traditionally, students really have just been on the receiving end. They get charged large amounts of money to take standard lectures and classes in a take-it-or-leave-it. They've had very little power. And the way that schools are financed and government education is financed doesn't give students a lot of choice and power to actually select for this sort of education. So typically you'll get a lecturer or teacher saying, well, I don't do it that way, I've never done it that way, I can't be bothered to do it that way, sit down, shut up, and, uh, and here's your class in geography. And there's almost nothing that a student can do about it. They just have to sort of do well and pass and then get good grades and be able to stand up and say, you know, I beat whatever the system put in front of me, which sounds good to future employers. Thinking in terms of risk or the anti-fragile idea, I would have thought that this was safer. If you have an education system that assumes you know, you're going to work for the military, you're going to work as a research scientist for the government, or you're going to be a bureaucrat of some sort, administrator, which I think half the world now does as a living, if something happens, you know, it gets reorganised, you lose your job, you know, you have to move country, or there's a war, a disaster of some sort. It, a career where you've dedicated yourself to one organisation can be hard to rebuild. Whereas if you've got skills in starting your own business and sort of exploiting the market, you know, offering services, marketing, um, problem-solving for people, you're most likely, much more likely to thrive in chaos and disruption rather than, you know, if you've been a career librarian, you know, for the local council for 40 years and, and things change suddenly. So I do think that the entrepreneurial education would be a risk mitigation approach. Whether you would actually thrive in chaos, I think would depend a little bit on, you know, what you chose as your area of expertise. But um, I suspect you would be more robust 
than somebody who was assuming a long career in some department of the government, which suddenly comes to an end because of some recombination, or they move your department from one city to another which doesn't suit your family. So, what needs to be done, you know, when and where? I really think it's, a, it's at one level, it's a small change that when students come into the classroom, and it might be a lot easier, I've actually done this at university level, so it's easier there, but maybe harder at the school level, but you just ask the students to assume an interest in industry, and, and when you're, you're teaching topics and it can be anything, really, you keep trying to refer that back to their little business or interest. And it can be quite interesting and challenging to do that. Although, you know, sometimes you go, students will say, well, that's got nothing to do with me, and then you can point something out, and they go, oh, yes, I can see what you mean now. And that's quite rewarding. Um, so it's a nice challenge for the lecturer. But it does require certain skills and life and experience to do it. Of course, in education, everything's about the assignment. So if the assignments aren't structured like that, so if you're doing history class or stats class and they make no sort of requirement for you to reference that back to the industry that you're interested in, then you'll, it'll all seem like a spurious, unnecessary exercise. So working in a business school, I have sometimes said right, I've got to teach organisational theory, which is you know, basically you know, how to run an organisation or work in a large organisation. And I've said, well, let's assume that you've, you've got a small department of five to ten people. Then if I go through all the standard you know, business school organisational theory stuff or organisational behaviour stuff you know, about personalities and networking and uh, decision-making, I can keep saying, so So, what use is this theory to advise you on how to you know, better run your little department or your, your you know, handful of, of employees? I've also used it in saying, well, what industry are you interested in? And some will say tourism or the automobile industry or defence industry. And I've said, well, right, well, let's imagine then that you're coming up with a because I'm teaching strategic planning, you're coming up with a strategic plan for that industry and and just try and make it more relevant in that sense rather than, you know, this is a generic course on strategic planning. And the same with forecasting. If you're running a forecasting course, you can say, well, what sort of things would you need to forecast? What sort of information would be available in your industry? Rather than just say, you know, these are the 10 well-known forecasting methods and then ask them to repeat them in an exam. Lastly, using the sense-making idea, so what are the core concepts underlying or driving or designing the system I'm suggesting? I think it is self-sufficiency, self-employment, independence, economic independence, uh, owner-managed free markets self-responsibility, as opposed to education to get you through an interview, education for its own sake, education to impress others uh, rather than for its relevance, 
Um, I, I've mentioned it a few times, I, I think generally we're assuming small units where you, you have a lot of decision-making authority as opposed to being part of a large organisation which tend to be top-down. Uh, you know, you're told what to do, it's very hard to pass suggestions up through the organisation. Whereas in smaller self-owner-managed companies, of course, the, the communications up and down can be really quite short and simple and effective. I am putting an economic or financial concept or lens onto classical education. So I'm saying if you want to be a geographer, if you want to be a biochemist, if you want to be a historian, then really you, you need a self-employed business perspective on that. So it, it's it's permeating it through, and I can see how some people would like to become, you know, the world's expert on the kings of Iceland and be paid for by the government to do it and, you know, and have students forced to listen to it um, without the, the need or the pressure to actually make it, you know, relevant or to offer it as, to a service to anybody. But you really could have a university where the departments and schools are separate companies outsourced supplying you know products and services to a central university and I think things like MOOCs will do this eventually so you can be an expert on you know the kings of Iceland but you offer a product or service to the world to students you know who are interested in the same way that you get you know Documentary companies like you know BBC Horizon offer and sell documentaries to national broadcasters. I suppose a key word or concept is outsourcing. I'm I'm assuming a system where you have a lot of little suppliers offering their products and services to each other in a you know small, I suppose informal marketplace as opposed to large bureaucracy bureaucratic organisations with large numbers of departments and employees working to a centralised authority. It's with a certain glee that I think about a university system where each lecturer is self-employed and offers a product or service to the university which either takes or leaves. Okay, so that's about it for this episode on an entrepreneurial education system for your organisation or the project that you hopefully are applying some of this chat to, you might want to ask yourself, if I was able to control the curriculum at high school or university or at the TAFE, you know, technical colleges, what would I want included or put another way, if all the world was made up of MOOCs, or, you know, these online courses, and you were saying to, I'm going to employ people, which collection of these online courses would you want them to have studied? I do think a lot of what I said applies to charities as much as small businesses. I know to a lot of people, charities are funded by the government, but they either have to apply for the money or they have to find other ways of raising money, and they have to run them. So they are commercial activities. 
the term not-for-profit or for-profit is a bit badly misused. We, we all have budgets and constrained and have to sort of pay the bills. So I'm hoping you don't get too locked into the the, the fact that you're interested in not-for-profit organisations. I think running a charity requires a, a you know a particular education that's wise to financial matters, marketing matters, to offering services to different people, um, in in much the same way that a for-profit organisation does. I think the word social enterprises is used a lot now, but again, the government tends to hand out lumps of money to to little private organisations that will call themselves not-for-profit or charities, but they are working as independent financial units. Okay, thank you.